a science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host for this series, Misha Gajewski, senior producer at Story Collider. Today is the second installment of our special mini-series that's looking at two sides of mental health stories. In today's episode, we explore that thing that happens, you know, when you find that missing piece of the puzzle and suddenly everything makes sense. This week, both our stories come from Janice Matthias. They were recorded in her home in New Jersey. But before you listen, I want to give you a warning that these stories contain sensitive material, including rape and murder. If you feel triggered at any point, please feel free to pause the story and take a minute. Here's Janice. It's 1998, and I wake up in an all-white room. I get out of bed, and I'm wearing just a hospital gown. There's an open door, and from the shadow of light, I could tell it's evening. I wander out into the hallway, and it's only lit by the moonlight, or the rays from the moonlight. And I could hear TV set playing in the distance. And I walk towards the sound. There, sitting in a chair, is a white man in about his mid-thirties. And his hair looked like it had been attacked by his scissors. He looks at me, and he says, Who are you today? I just look at him. He said, I hope you're Carmen, because I like the way she's, she curses in Spanish. I sit down in front of him, and I guess he could tell by my confused look, he says, before you ask, you're in St. Joseph's Hospital in Patterson and the psychiatric ward. I was not surprised that I was in a hospital and a psychiatric ward. What was disconcerting to me at that time was why I was there and how I got there. I have always throughout my life had an issue or problem with time and space. What I mean is that I would lose time. I would wake up being me, but being in a different place or different clothes or with different people. The first time I could remember me fading out, or I call blackouts, was when I was two years old. And I was in the front seat, sitting between my parents in a car. And I remember my parents started argument, arguing, and then it led into actually my father physically abusing my mother while I was sitting between them. And I remember not being able to breathe. And I remember just closing my eyes and just going away. I can't tell you memories of my childhood. Like you, some people can say, well, they remember their kindergarten teacher or their best friend. I have no memory of that, of going to school. And 
this this continues all the way until I was 28, where I can only tell you like clips, like MP4s of of episodes of my life or just snapshots of pictures. But I couldn't tell you exactly what happened, what was going on. The next, the next thing I remember was that I was standing again in the lounge. This nurse calls me by the name of Nicole and she motions towards me and I'm confused because my name is Janice. She says to me, do you know why you're here? And I said, I don't remember. The only thing I remember was this white woman in my living room with her hands around my shoulders saying that I needed help. The nurse says to me again, well, do you know what your problem is? Problem, I said. I'm married. I have kids. I got a dog. I'm in grad school. I work. Maybe that's it. I just overwhelm myself. And the fact of self-medication might have not helped me. And as she spoke to me, again, I started this cloud of blackness just clothing me and just blackout. I do remember while I laid in the bed in my room in the hospital, a vision of me being in this, in this abandoned building. And it was when I was about eight years old, and I remember they tore down this whole block, and it was only a skeleton of, of buildings, and it was a shortcut to going to school. And I remember that I had a friend, and she and I would always take this shortcut. I don't remember ever seeing that friend again until I was in the second grade or first grade and I remember sitting on a table surrounded my with my classmate around it and the kid across from me said yelled out do you know what happened to Susan and the other girl said yeah she's dead and then right then and there, I remember, again, blackout. And from then on, I don't remember anything. First, second, third, junior high school, just glimpse of pictures. Well, I was in the psych ward. Um, this woman comes up to me. She says she's my doctor. And she says, and she says to me, who are you today? I am so confused of people telling me, asking me who I am. So she says, follow me. And she takes me into a conference room and she sits me down at the table and she puts before me all of these paintings or drawings of made from pencils and crayons. And as I'm looking through these, through these drawings, I, I say to her, you know, why are you showing me this? There, you know, pictures look like, like it was made, drawn by a, a child. And except for one picture that was very well detailed, and it was a, a beach scene, and in the ocean were 
these skeletons in the form of devils holding pitchforks. And there was this one skeleton devil with a pitchfork looking directly at me. And I said to the doctor, you know, this is some scary shit. I mean, it's really a nice drawing, but it's scary. The young doctor who happened to be Muslim, and she had a Muslim attire, and she sat next to me, and she puts her hands on my on my hand. She says, I think you have personality disassociation. And I looked at her, and I and the only thing I knew about personality dissociation from the movie Civil. And I say to her, Civil? Well, that's a, that's a, that's about a, a girl who was tied to a piano and her mother tortured her and did unseen things to her. I don't even have a piano. And she just says to me, I can't refer you to any outpatient because of your age, there's nobody that treats adult personality disassociation. And she just gives me a prescription for uh, anxiety and depression. And she gives me a letter with her diagnosis and said, you know, to, to present it to whoever I go for help. So I asked her, well, what, what can I do? How long would it take? And she said to me, well, you're going to have to admit yourself to a psychiatric ward and go through extensive psychotherapy and medication. And I said, well, how long that's going to take? She said, it might take years. As I thought about that possibility again, a cloud of blackness just faded over me. I don't remember leaving the hospital. I don't remember going home. I do know maybe weeks later, I found myself at uh, my local mental health association where I volunteer as a mental health player. And I confined into the, uh, I confined to the director, her name was Penny, about my experience, thinking that she was going to agree with me that the psychiatrist or the doctor didn't know their elbow from their butt. And to my surprise, she throws up her hands and she said, no wonder, no wonder all the different names, the different clothes, the different voices. And I looked at her and said, did everybody knew I had a mental illness except me? Penny agreed with the diagnosis, and I said, well, I can't afford years of therapy. I barely can go to the doctor and pay for it. And she was so kind to say to me, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Sometime went by, I think, a few months, and I get a call from Barnett Psychiatric Ward in Patterson and said that they had set up an appointment with me with their therapist who was a children's therapist. When I went to St. Barnett, I walked into a room and there was all these kids playing. Um, And um, I felt out of place. And at the same time, it didn't really hit me that I had a problem. So the door opens and this white woman, a Jewish, with a beautiful, friendly smile, motions me into the room. 
she sits me down at a table and a children table and, and I'm sitting down in this little child chair and she sits next to me and she puts her hands on my hand and she said, I cannot help you to merge your personalities, but what I can do is to help you find them, to introduce you to them. I don't remember exactly the therapy, but I do remember I would come in at my scheduled appointment and she would play uh, a recording of me speaking in different, different tones, different, you know, just different voices. And I couldn't believe it was with me. And she would show me these paintings that I did and I didn't remember. And she prompted me to create this room and to put a table with all, she told me put 11 chairs around it with me being the 12. And I remember maybe was she would hypnotize me or put me in a deep meditation state. But I will never forget the moment I opened my door into this room that I created in my mind. And there they were, 11 of me sitting around the table. And it was at that moment, the reality of my personalities were real for me. And it was a moment that I realized that these different parts of me were my saviors. They were my protectors. They were my heroes. That was Janice. For much of her life, Janice's personalities hid what happened during her blackouts. As she says, they were protecting her. But recently, some of those memories started to come back to her in flashes. Now that she's met her different personalities, she sees parts of her life completely differently. You're going to hear that side of Janice's story in just a moment. But if you've liked listening to this series so far, you can help us create more of these types of shows. Check out our Patreon page to become a supporter. For a small monthly fee, you get access to bonus content and other fun things. Head over to patreon.com slash thestorycladder for more details. Also, if these stories have you feeling inspired to tell your own story, I highly recommend taking one of our public workshops or participating in our monthly story slams. You can find out more about those on our website at storycollider.org. Now, before we move on to Janice's next story, I want to remind you that this story contains some sensitive material. So take a step back if you need it. Here's the other side of Janice's story. When I think back on that moment where my therapist had me create this room and she had me to specifically design it. And it's an oval room and there are 11 doors all around the walls. And it's made out of wood, dark wood. And there's an oval table in the middle and there's chairs. And when each of my personality will walk out of the room, they can walk directly to the chair and sit down. 
I remember that moment where I walked into my mind and there they were, as clearly and distinct as I can see anybody. Each of them were looking at me. Each of them had their own unique look, clothing. Uh, I was shocked. I did not really, really comprehend until that moment that I actually had multi-personality disorder. And as I sat down in the chair, they all looked at me and they smiled. And the one of my personality that I really never really met, but for some reason I had this overwhelming fear, was sitting across the table at the head of the table and was looking at me. She had a baby's face. I called her the dark one. And and the reason I called her the dark one is because whenever she came out, it was a bedlam of emotional pressure um, beyond being depressed. It was like having a big rock just on your chest. And I always, when she would come out, I remember, I always felt like I was dying. And um, I looked at her, and she had this baby, beautiful little baby's face, um, big eyes, big cheeks. But she was encased in this human, like a man's body that was was encrusted with 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 black, like if it was burnt, like it was just burned. And I realized that she was the first, that my my trauma started when I was very young, and from her came all the others. And I got this impression that at a young age that she was like, it's like a mother grabbing a child that's going to be pull back from being injured, you know, like maybe the child is going to fall off the edge, you're going to be hit by a car, you know how a a parent would grab grab the child and pull him back to safety? That's the impression and the feeling I got from this baby face, that she was the one that grabbed me and saved me. And from her came the others. It's hard to really tell people how I deal with these personalities, these different voices, and these different um, unique in themselves, their own experience. To this day, I really don't fully know what the traumatic happened. It's something that my personalities fears that it would be too much or it would be disabilitating to me if I knew the truth of how they were created. Um, when I have tried in the past, I would go into convulsion. I spoke to one of my therapists and they said that wasn't a good idea that I, I need to be under supervision. But as time went by, each of them, my personalities, they talked. After my diagnosis, I have developed this kind of relationship uh, with my personalities and they understand that I'm in charge now. There's times where 
if a situation arises that is very stressful, I could tell that my personalities will try to come out and and protect me. And they do that by um, there's times where I feel like I'm very sleepy, um, like I'm going to go to sleep. And I could see myself being sucked into this kind of blackness. Um, When that happens, I know that there is something that's happening in my life that I have to deal with. Or my one of my personality will say, well, if you can't deal with it, I'm going to do deal with it. So what I'm saying is, is that I have created this, this bond with my personality that I actually talk to them and confide in them and they'll talk to me and I have these voices in my head. Sometimes it'll get a little crazy and that's times when I say to myself, I need a mental health day. Uh, but the thing about, about my personality is that, um, they're starting to tell me things about what happened and that I could understand. Years ago, I started having these dreams about, um, being, being with a little girl when I was about eight years old. And I had this flash of, of being in this situation where I was raped. I was being raped. And, um, one of the boys, it was by a group of teenage boys in Spanish Harlem. We used to walk through, uh, this girl that I named Susan, who's one of my personalities. We used to walk through there for shortcuts, and we got um, we got um, trapped or attacked by a group of boys who raped us, and and unfortunately she was killed. She was murdered. But I only remember a little glimpse of it. I remember, I don't remember the whole situation. I just remember her face as an outline. Um, but I do remember that I, that I don't have any recognition. Um, but things started coming out and I think that, um, one of my personalities, Susan, needed me to know that I created her in my mind because I couldn't deal with the reality that she was murdered and I was able to survive. Um, I think I spoke about the first time that I knew that I, Went into a disassociated when I was, I was a toddler and I was in the front seat sitting down between my parents and my parents started to have this fist fight over me. And I remember that was the first time where I felt that I couldn't breathe. And I remembered that I had like an out-of-body experience where I actually saw myself above me looking down at myself. And then the next thing I knew that blackness just grabbed me and sucked me into itself. I'm starting to remember little things like that um, of um, trauma that I experienced, but not the full trauma. When I, now that I know I'm, I'm a senior citizen um, and I, thank my personalities because they're the ones who saved me. They're the ones who protected me. They're the ones who were there when I couldn't be there. And it was so interesting that all my life, nobody knew about them, not even me, and that how I could just go through life 
getting going to college, graduating, going to grad school, having kids, that I was able to function and nobody knew it that I had this disorder. I I take this moment and when I reflect back, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that they I don't know how they were created. I know how they were created. They were created through trauma. But I am so grateful to them that they loved me enough, that they cared about me enough, that they were willing to put themselves in place of me so that I could continue living. I don't know. I don't know what my life would have been if I didn't have them. And they are truly my heroes. And I thank them every day. For giving me my life. That was Janice again. Janice is an EMT and a special service teacher. She's also a dancer, singer, actor, comedian, and storyteller. She's performed for shows like The Moth, Risk, and The Story Collider, just to name a few. You can hear her first Story Collider story at storycollider.org. She's currently working on her next solo show entitled I Don't Suffer From Insanity. I enjoy every moment of it. The Story Collider is so grateful to Janice for sharing her stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, with assistance from Story Collider's artistic director, Aaron Barker, deputy director, Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor, Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to the whole Story Collider team, including operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and interim executive director, Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in this episode were produced by me, Misha Gajewski, and our theme music was composed by Ghost. Next week is our final episode of this series, where we'll hear from a brother and sister who handled their mother's strange behavior very differently. But in the meantime, remember, it might take years. Also, take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening.